This is the Ray Hanania on Politics podcast, which explores issues I raise in my award-winning syndicated political columns that run in Chicagoland newspapers each week. You can get information on all my writings and my podcasts by visiting www.hanania.com. Thank you for listening. I always want to hear your thoughts, so feel free to email me your comments. I got uh, two columns that I wrote uh, over the last two weeks, and of course I just finished another one that will come out later this week, but I thought they were worth talking about. One is uh, about traveling and the way we used to vacation and the way we used to buy souvenirs and the way we used to buy uh, gifts when we would travel and how that's changed. Everything used to be very made in America, and today it's 80% of everything is made in China, no matter where you travel. The other one has to do with, uh, the second column that came out last week has to do with uh, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Uh, You know, I've tried to reach out to uh, Mayor Lightfoot, and obviously, you know, when things aren't going well, they really don't want to reach out to people, especially in the southwest suburbs, where I think most of the, and you know, in the southwest side of Chicago and the southwest suburbs, where I think a lot of the educated voters live, northwest and southwest, um, there's a big concentration of voters. And when I say educated, I mean more aware of voting because you get higher voting turnouts in the southwest and northwest sides of the city than in and the north side than you do in the inner city um, and especially in some of the neighborhoods um, toward uh, the lake. So it's not really an education thing, but it's an awareness of voting. And uh, she doesn't want to deal with that. She doesn't want to deal with questions. She, she won't sit down and let me interview her. Uh, because I, you know, I mean, let's be honest, she's failed. You know, she's only been in office, you know, only a short period of time, you know, sworn in in May. So May, June, July, August, September. We're talking like f- four and a half months um, usually you get six months, you know, for a, uh, you know, honeymoon where the media gives you a pass. But in, in reality, the problems in Chicago are so bad. I don't think a uh, six-month honeymoon uh, continuation is worth it in her case. But let's talk about the uh, Made in China. The column is called Traveling on Vacation. It used to be a lot of fun. And basically it's the more our habits change as Americans, the more we are falling into an abyss controlled by the Chinese government and their financial grip on our spending habits and retail industry. The price to make it stop may be painful, but we have to do it. China is a brutal communist regime, a relic from the 1950s that remains one of America's and democracy's greatest threats, and yet we can't let our guard down or allow China to own our country through loans, mortgages, and investments. Every year I try to take one cruise with the family. This year the cruise stopped in Aruba, Curaçao, the increasingly dangerous Dominican Republic, and to the slum side of the Turks and Caicos Islands called Grand Turk Island. I used to enjoy spending a week at a beach resort, but these days good beach resorts are getting really expensive. The cruise option is the best spending bet when you travel. A cruise is like being in a giant floating hotel where you get to eat like a pig, which isn't a good thing, of course, and everything suddenly becomes comfort food. When I get home, I take a weight loss vacation after the cruise. Regardless, though, going on vacation is an American tradition 
that my family started when I was a kid. Back in the 1950s, we used to get into our car and drive across America. Vacations back then were about family. Nothing was more family than getting in your own car and being with the family for hours on end. We'd spend a night at little motels along the way and have breakfast together in the morning. We actually talked to each other during the road trips. No cell phones, no iPads, or, and no internet. We also shopped together buying souvenirs to remind us of where we traveled. My mom would tell us that buying something helped the locals, especially the Native Americans. We bought stickers from each state that we put on the side of the car. We'd stop in the gift shop and it was like another travel experience enjoying the local culture. I don't recall ever looking to see where the souvenirs were made. I took it for granted it was all American. When we bought Navajo items from the Navajo during our treks out west, we assumed they were made by the Navajo and that the profits went to the Navajo. It was a good feeling helping the locals. And really helping the Native Americans is something that really is in the substance of being an American to respect you know, their history and acknowledge what we did to them as a people. Somewhere along the way, however, the American vacation experience changed. We stopped enjoying America, dumped the car, and we started to fly to foreign resorts where we spent our money. At first, flights were cheap. The flight attendants were focused on service, and they served great real meals. The food was great. I mean, it really was a great experience to fly in an airplane. Now flying is an ugly hassle. People drag huge luggage onto the plane. They're always in a rush. They want to be. They don't want to wait for the baggage, and they fight to stuff these large, overweight luggage into the overhead bins. Seats are like sardine cans, 17 inches across. Give me a break. You know, it used to be like 24 inches. They literally cut seven inches from a seat. All that eating doesn't help, of course, so the airlines stopped feeding us. And I think they didn't stop feeding us just to save money. I think the airlines stopped feeding us because they want to keep us slimmed down so they can squeeze us into those expensive, narrow seats that we're forced to buy. It's terrible. They toss a tiny pretzel bag on your germ-covered tray. Your elbows are knocking the people next to you as you tear through the non-recyclable packaging. The first thing I do on an airline flight these days is pull out the sanitizers and wipe down everything, including the guy sitting next to me. The absolute worst part of traveling is how the whole enjoyment of buying a souvenir has changed. What used to be meaningful purchases today are just commercialized junk. Garbage wrapped up in a false vacation experience. In Curacao, I wanted to buy a carving of a turtle. I love turtles. I turned it over only to discover a label that screamed, Made in China. They were all like that, all the options. I checked the rest of the souvenir junk in that store and dozens of other stores, and everything was made in China. It made me sick to think of little children sitting in sweatshops working 18 hours every day for one dollar carving up the little souvenirs that are shipped around the world. It made me even sicker thinking about how we have mortgaged America to the Chinese, a communist repressive regime of totalitarianism 
that is anything but American. Half the crap we buy in America is made in China. Nearly 80% of the products at Walmart, one of the country's largest retailers, are made in China. It's like that in every major retailer these days. But it's not Walmart or the other stores. It's us. We allowed this to happen. We got lazy. We let the airlines dictate the sardine can experience. We let Walmart sell us the made-in-China crap without even a whimper, not even a little protest. We have to make it stop, and it's not going to be easy. Our economy will suffer, but getting back to those days when American fun and American souvenirs were American-made is worth it to me, and it should be to you, too. No more made in China for me. The money I lose in the trade war, the media is whining about that President Trump started with China, will be made up by the money I save not spending it on made in China junk. Getting back to America means ending our made in China culture. This column was originally published, by the way, in the Southwest News newspaper group on September 5th. 2019. The next column has to do with Mayor Lori Lightfoot and really what I think is her, uh, I don't know, her failure as a great leader. She said she sounded so good during the election. Don't candidates always sound good during elections? They always say the right things. She, you know, with her it was more the diversity, you know, being a woman, being African-American, being gay. I thought that that was pretty cool. I mean, I think, you know, that I've tried to be supportive. I've tried to keep the door open to her. But honestly, I don't think she likes, uh, you know, uh, people like me. You know, white, male, maybe a little conservative. Um, and uh, I really do think that her, her activism is getting in the way of her success. So the Count's Lightfoot following in the footsteps of the machine she lulls. Mayor Lori Lightfoot wants you to believe that she's a champion of justice and will fight to make Chicagoans safe and end the corruption that has plagued her predecessors. But alas, Lightfoot is no different from many of the mayors who came before her. And her promises to confront the rising street gangs and gun-related killings and the shootings have been replaced by excuses in which she blames the police to empower her narrow, focused base. She's no different than any of them. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot has done a good job of balancing herself on the edge of her lifestyle, so-called progressive reform politics, and a claim that she's different from the machine politics she campaigned against. But the truth is, and it's sad to say, Mayor Lightfoot might as well start smoking cigars and holding meetings behind closed doors because she clearly is acting like a clout-heavy politician rather than as a so-called progressive who wants to address Chicagoland's problems. Let's face it, the suburbs are tied to the fate of Chicago. That's why I care as a suburbanite, and that's why many suburbanites should care about what happens in Chicago. If light, and, and also, by the way, why Lightfoot should listen to us because we end up paying a lot of Chicago's uh, costs for their to cover their problems. If Lightfoot fails to confront street gang violence, it isn't just Chicagoans who suffer, it's the suburbs that suffer too. Not just in terms of spillover from the street gang gun violence, 
but also in being forced to always bail out Chicago financially. Back in the 1980s, Mike Royko set aside his liberal agenda and principles to join in the grotesque demand that money needed to bail out the failed Chicago Transit Authority be taken from the back pockets of suburban taxpayers. Anytime Chicago is in trouble, the focus veers away from the needs of the suburbs and the rest of the state, and new tax monies are channeled in to salvage the city's corrupt and failed policies. When Lightfoot asserted that Chicago faces extraordinary financial challenges, it's just a liberal's way of saying Chicago wants to raise taxes to offset its budget shortfalls. Her first six months in office is parroting the first six months of many Chicago machine mayors. Instead of following through by cracking down on corruption and government waste, Lightfoot is saying she wants to increase taxes and revenues to continue to fund that waste. It's terrible. Every machine mayor has started out the same way, asserting that they are hundreds of millions of dollars in debt. They always do that. They always get in office and they go, oh my God, the predecessor lied to me. We're short. We need money. It's a crisis. You know, the more drama they create, the more likely they can get the legislature or the taxpayers to agree to hike up more money to pay for what she needs because, you know, she can't do anything based on what they have. Then they claim to have answers and instead start to blame others, but they never blame themselves. It's a cop-out. Believe me, that's what she's doing. A smart mayor would look at the problems and say that while there are some problems with the police, the majority are dedicated heroes who put their lives on the line every day to protect everyone, including the people who condemn everything the police do. But Mayor Lightfoot blames the police, but fails to blame the people who live in the neighborhoods. The good families in the crime-ridden neighborhoods believe the false promises, hoping that something can be done, while many who know the hoodlums and streaking members but say nothing are the first to scream racism and point fingers at the police. And when a child of one of those families is killed, they are the first to hire lawyers to collect on the tragedy lottery. They file lawsuits against the city and walk away with millions. At the cost of their failed parenting, allowing their child to get involved in street gangs. I'm going to tell you what, as a parent, if I even saw a hint of my child being involved in a street gang, I would be taking control of my kid. And if the parent can't do it, there are many agencies out there that they could turn to to get help. But they don't want to do it because some of that drug money actually helps the families. Mayor Lightfoot refuses to acknowledge that problem. She wants you to believe that the violence is fueled by guns sold outside of Chicago. She says 60% comes from outside, but that also means 40% comes from inside Chicago, Mayor Lightfoot. Mayor Lightfoot won't acknowledge that a large percentage of the violence could be stopped by the people in these communities if they take responsibility for the street gang members who are their children, their relatives, their neighbors and their friends. Until Mayor Lightfoot does that, there will not be a solution to the increased violence in the city of Chicago. It's not going to change. Just this past week, seven people were killed and, I don't know, 27 others were injured. Every weekend, it's a regular routine. And she yells at people uh, out, who outside of Chicago 
point to Chicago's problems and say that something needs to be done. You know what? It's a political cop-out on Mayor Lightfoot's part. Mayor Lightfoot also claims she is a different kind of mayor, but all she has done is shifted the power balance from the traditional Democrats, the white community, and the conservatives, and she has empowered her own. African-American, liberal women, and the LGBT community. Lightfoot hides behind those labels like Teflon, protecting her from criticism of her so far failed leadership. I've asked to inter interview the mayor many times, but then I am white, I live in the suburbs, I defend the police, and I see her platform as questionable at best. She lacks the courage to sit down with me. Fine. But worse, she lacks the courage to take on the real problems fueling the endless killings that make a Chicago weekend look like a Hollywood slasher movie. Keep her politics out of the suburbs and keep her hands out of suburban pocketbooks. You know what? Mayor Lightfoot, she should hear this stuff, but she doesn't care. She honestly doesn't care. She's kind of transformed into a machine, a new kind of machine politician. Those The hypocrites that point to machines blame everything on machines, but are actually worse than the machines. You've been listening to the Ray Hanania on Politics podcast. Visit www.hanania.com for all my podcasts, my award-winning syndicated columns on Chicagoland politics, and my columns on Middle East politics. Thank you for listening.